If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to 1 Corinthians 15. And I know uh, a lot of you, I've got, I'm obviously an iPad here, and some of you have your phones. And you know, if your phone goes off, mine will probably go off too, so don't worry about it. It just happens. Just, I'm glad you have your Bibles. Um, we're going to be in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, this is the sometimes called the chapter because it uh, talks about the resurrection quite a bit. Uh, we're going to be kind of open to that. We'll be moving around a little bit. I'll have some of them on the screen for you. Um, always good to, to look at this because it is uh, the most important thing. And you notice that song we just sang, the glorious day is our resurrection, not his. Um, not that his is important. We'll talk about that. But that's day in the future, second coming. The second coming is really important. It's what we've talked about through this heaven series. Um, but guarantees our resurrection and that's when we do that creed thing with the kids or yourself to try to understand that resurrection is uh, very important so i've got 17 through 19 but we're going to go back to 12 because um, it's kind of one big paragraph uh, verse 12 now if christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead so it's the first part of what we're talking about if jesus rose how come you're saying that we won't Apparently that was a problem in Corinth. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We were even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. That's his whole argument. This goes hand in hand. Um, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. It's pretty strong, isn't it? I mean, there's not a lot of ambiguity in here on, on the importance of the resurrection of Christ. It's been in vogue over the last couple hundred years for more liberal theology to say, well, it, you know, he kind of just rose spiritually. I'm not even sure what the heck that means. Um, you could fake a spiritual, we could say anybody did that, right? We could say Abraham Lincoln's running around here. He rose spiritually. He's right over there. You just can't see him. It's like Harvey the rabbit. I mean, it doesn't really do you any good. How do I prove such things? But Jesus, his resurrection was real. And that's the main point. It's real. It really happened. And it was physical. This is the whole idea. We've got to, Jesus, and we'll look at a, at least one verse about that, um, the resurrection appearance accounts that happened in the Gospels are so clear that this is physical. But you go back to Genesis 2, when you get your hand, you God, man, how did he do that? Well, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. So we are a physical, non-physical combination. That's always been the Jew Jewish view. It's always the Old Testament view. It's the New Testament view. That's, and they're both important to have. Uh, and the word dust there could be just translated stuff. I don't know if it's just the stuff under your bed. I mean, it's not that stuff. It's the, the, uh, the, the physical stuff. Um, and so, and what's the other stuff? It's the breath of God. 
And I think we've talked about that in, in uh, Hebrew, the word for breath is ruach, which is also the word for spirit and also the word for wind. You just got to go by context. So it's, we're, we're a body-soul combination. We have a physical part. We have a non-physical part. In the first nine parts of heaven, we hit a lot about the non-physical part. That's what, what heaven now is. And I know, I know you're upset. I, I know I'm, I'll do better. I'll print some more charts out for you. I'll get them out there. I was going to do that this week, and it, uh, I didn't get it done. But, you know, the idea that right now people who die in the Lord go to what we call the current heaven. I mean, that's just a term. You can use whatever term you want. Um, but it's a place that is not the final heaven that comes at the resurrection of the dead on his second coming. So I don't know if you thought about this because it seems so normal for us in our life, but death is an abnormal condition. It was not the way it was supposed to be. You go way back again, just a couple verses later, God also creates Eve, um, and, but out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So he says, you can eat anything you want. It's like a buffet. You know, eat anything except you shall not eat of the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, and if you think about that, we won't get too far into this theologically. The good part's all right, you know. You can, eating the knowledge of the tree of good, I don't think God was upset about that. It's the evil part. And it's, so there's one commandment. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. But we all know what happened when they ate that. What happened when they ate that? Did they <coughs> croak? That's the theological sound for croaking, if you didn't know that. <coughs> yeah, it's... They didn't die like that, did they? So what does this mean? They did eventually, um, but what did you see? It's kind of back to what we were talking about. There was a connection. The, you know, Yahweh walked in the cool of the garden with them in some ways. You know, how that all worked. It was a pre-incarnate Jesus. I don't know. But there was a, there was a loving, gracious connection. That got, that got broken. Death. That's spiritual death. Which a physical death came along. So really... Our life, it's the only one we have, the only one we can live, is an aberration. This is not the way it was supposed to be. And you see that in 1 Corinthians a little bit later in our text in verse 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Because Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection destroyed the enemy of sin that kept us in bondage as fallen humans. But death has still not been destroyed. It's, it's going to be gone. It's just not gone yet. And that's what we have to hope for. You know, we've got plenty of evidence. Jesus' resurrection is pretty darn good evidence. Um, you know, that's the ultimate comeback, isn't it? And when some dude's dead and they come back, that's, that's pretty cool. He came back. It was a really good comeback last night if you watched that game, wasn't it? That was a good comeback. I mean, they were down 27 to nothing. That, Jacksonville came back and beat the Chargers by one point. But that's nothing compared to being dead and coming back, right? That's the ultimate comeback. And the resurrection of Jesus is so important. You see that in this text. If you know, people say, well, how would you how would you falsify Christianity? Find the bones of Jesus. I mean, if if we can truly say we've found Jesus unrisen, 
then there is no reason for me to be, I'll walk off. I mean, there's because that's, it, there's no reason. The evidence is gone. It's the, the idea, he justifies his death because of the resurrection, because he said that over and over again. The disciples didn't get it at first. They eventually did. You know, the Son of Man, read Daniel 7, if you want to see who that dude is. The Son of Man is going to be handed over to the chief priest. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be killed. Now, if you stop there, you know, a lot of people can get their, own death, but then he on the third day will rise. And the whole idea is if he didn't, the last part didn't, how can we, how can we trust the first part? And that's why Paul says if he was not risen, then we are, our faith is futile, meaning our trust in him is not warranted, and you're still in your sins. Look for something else. But if he is raised, then, oh, now something has changed. So it guarantees eternity. You see this in Romans 6, which talks about that because we have Christ in our hearts and have accepted his, he's recreated us as new creations, the sin is gone, we're no, one, no longer in bondage to that. And why are we sure of this? Well, we're sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. Well, I'll tell you what, if I want somebody to help me out of death, I'd really like it to be somebody that has, had death has no power over. You know, I've, I've heard it before. I, I remember talking, uh, this was when I was in seminary, we went out and talked to some people at the UT campus, which was actually kind of fun. Um, I think I was 0 for 36, but still, it was fun. Uh, fun talking about this. I remember one guy saying, it's like, well, I don't know, if, I don't want somebody that has one foot on the shore, a leg up. I want somebody who can know what it's like. And I'm like, well, if you're a man or a woman drowning in the middle of a lake and you all of a sudden see a rope, wouldn't it be nice if the rope was attached to somebody on shore than another guy who's also drowning? And that's what pretty much all other religions do. They either say you can save yourself or somebody else can. Where Jesus says, no, I've got a foot on the shore. I've conquered death. It doesn't have any power over me. And so you want to conquer it? Well, follow me. And so when we look at this heaven series, it's like, again, if in this life we only hope for what we can do, it's, it, we're pre-pitied. It's the next life too. That's what this whole series is about. Ecclesiastes 3.11 is kind of quintessential verse for this. I like, this is the NLT version. It's really well put. Ecclesiastes is one of the wisdom books. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time, he has planted eternity in the human heart. And that's for everybody. I mean, you think about anybody, whether they're an atheist, agnostic, Christian, any type of religion, there's something in there. Even an atheist at a funeral will start wondering, is there something more than this? It's just hard for them to imagine them not existing. Eternity in the heart. There's something there. It, you know, when you talk to people, when, even if they're atheist or agnostic, you talk to them and you talk about eternity, it's something they can grab onto. They might not believe it. But they can understand that something in them because God has put that there because we're image bearers and he's an eternal God. Why wouldn't he create people who can look into and think about eternity? But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning end. We, we're not, I love that because we get this idea when we talk about the two natures of Jesus or the Trinity or even resurrection and eternal life and second coming. It's like it's sometimes hard for us to, well, I don't understand it all. Well, I don't either. But 
do we want to keep understanding more? You know, do we want to know God more? It's not about finally graduating from Christianity. Well, I know it all now, God, I know you enough. Do you do that with other relationships? I'm not advocating this, but if you go to your spouse after lunch and say, you know, I pretty much know you as much as I can. So I'm not going to spend more time with you. Is that, you know, that's the way some Christians, you know, it's like I, I get saved and then you never see him again. You probably heard the, it's a Baptist joke, so we're E-free so we can use them. Um, there was a Baptist church that had, had a problems with bats in the bell tower, and they tried everything to try to get them out of there. And finally, one of the leaders of the district came and said, well, I've got this figured out. All you have to do is baptize them, and they'll never come back. And sometimes that's the way it is. It's like, well, you get a, your get-out-all-free card, and you need to leave. It's like, well, that's not really what Jesus did. Jesus doesn't come and say, you know, decide for me, and then go do whatever you want. What's the word he uses? Follow me. That's an ongoing word. Love me. That's an active word. That's what he wants. For eternity. It's actually a good thing. So Jesus, it's real, but it's also physical. We, he, he came back in physical form. You see this in Luke 24. See my hands and my feet. It's I myself. I like the way he puts that. It's not some other Jesus reincarnated person. And the same thing with you. We talked about this uh, before Christmas when we were doing the Heaven series. You die and you come back as the same person. Different. Are you the same person you were 10 years ago? I'm trying to look. You guys weren't even around 10 years ago. In the eye of God, you were. But most of you can go back 10 years. You know, we, we change even here. But this is still Jesus. It's the same person, continuity of self. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones that you see that I have. He wanted to make sure. This is not, nowhere in the Gospels does it say it was a spiritual resurrection. It's spiritual power, but he really came back. Really really came back, uh, truly came back. And well, we will be the same person raised to greater perfection. That's the idea. Eventually, we get glorified. How that's going to look, we'll hit that a little bit later in a few weeks. But you look at Philippians 3, and then we'll go farther down into 1 Corinthians here. Um, it's a good chap. You, I know you all want an assignment, so read 1 Corinthians 15 all the way through, and uh, there will be a test. Not by me. <laughs> no. If you, I was going to say if you get time. You got time. It'll take you five minutes. I mean, I'm not even saying comprehend it. Just read it at this point. Philippians 3, but we are citizens of heaven. Isn't that cool? I like that. Where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. As we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our Savior. Glorious day. We just sang about that. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. That's pretty cool. You know, and, and you know, I know sometimes people who are non-creative, well, you're just, you just want this. Well, I do. Do you all want this? I want it. Just because you want something doesn't mean it can happen. I mean, I'm not the one that came up with this stuff. You know, Jesus is the one that came up with this stuff. The Spirit is the one who inspired Paul to write this, the church in Philippi. And then down to 1 Corinthians, verses 42 through 44. So we're just hitting pieces of this. 
he talks about before this, there's different levels of glory and, and, and different levels of different types of life and planets and all that kind of stuff. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable, it will be raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. If you want an oxymoron there, you got what it almost seems like. It's like, what's a spiritual body? It's like dry water. This doesn't seem to make sense, but we, we have to define spiritual. Spiritual means animated by God, made by God in this case. It's not talking about non-physical there. If there is a natural body, then there's a spiritual body. Another way to do it, and you keep doing that. You ever thought about why do we have so many books in the New Testament? Would you like less? Um, there's just different ways of telling the same story and the different aspects of it. It's, it's the way God... Primarily, he re reveals himself in the written word now, you know, that points us back to the really primary way he reveals himself in Christ. So you have this promise that this is not it. You know, I suppose we can have people raise their hands and this will tell me if you're awake or not. Um, how many people in here think they're over the hill? Some of you either don't have hands or are lying. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> if you think you're over the hill, it does sometimes make you think about what the end of that hill is going to look like a little bit more, right? I mean, it, it, you think of things differently when you think you're going to live for less time than if you think you're going to live for a long time. Uh, it's a little easier to get people who in, in a nursing home to think about heaven than it is people in preschool. And sometimes the people in preschool actually understand it more. But that's a, but it is, it's the idea that, you know, eternity is something that we think about more when we're closer to the end of this existence. So, when we look at this, it's not only the resurrection that changes us, it also changes all of creation. You, you get this, if you go to Romans 8, it tells us, that creation itself is groaning to be redeemed. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So creation is fall. We know that, right? I'm guessing there's no tornadoes in the new heaven and the new earth. I don't know if there'll be mosquitoes. If they are, they probably won't bite us. Uh, I don't know how that a whole insect thing works. But, but it is, it's, it's the idea, because if you go back to Genesis, when it talks about the man, because of the man and woman's sin, creation is cursed. And that's what he's talking about there in Romans 8, that creation, not willingly, it didn't do anything. You know, creation doesn't, you know, when a lion eats a zebra, it's not like he has to repent. It's what they're designed to do, right? Creation didn't do anything. It was the humans who were, if you remember in Genesis 1, were supposed to have dominion over. They're supposed to be caretakers over this. It's going to be a lot harder to be a caretaker over the lions when they want to eat you than it is. And I don't know if they wanted to eat us before. I don't know if Adam named the lion from a distance. <laughs> I'm not sure how that, there's different views of that. But we don't, we, we can look around, right? 
I mean, read the news. The, this, you know, right now, California is having all trouble with floods. I read also just a little bit far closer to us in Salt Lake that if nothing changes within five years, it's going to be gone because of the drought. And they're like 500 miles apart. I'm, I, I know we won't have droughts and floods in the new heaven and the earth. Creation is groaning to be redeemed also. So we have this decay. It's, you know, the bondage should decay. You think about this, and it's, I always think it's cool when science lines up with the Bible. The Bible's not a scientific text, and sometimes we get in trouble when we try to make it one. Um, but it doesn't go against science either. Some of the greatest scientists that ever lived were Christians, um, uh, at least theists. But, and the one who this law comes from, you all know the second law of thermodynamics, right? You know? Entropy. Entropy is kind of a weird word. Probably best defined as, you know, continuing to be more chaos. Things, if, if you have a system of something, if you leave it alone, it will decay. We all know that, right? We talked about that with the storing up for yourself treasures on earth, right? Rust, you know, things decay if nothing gets infused. And I lucked it up <laughs> last night because I was just curious because, you know, I wondered what scientists think because we're, we're all supposed to eventually just die in heat death. You know, eventually things will, we know the, the, the Big Bang and all these things come and it keeps getting more, you know, it keeps getting farther away, less energy and eventually it's going to die out, but it's going to be a while, based on the science. One times 10 to the 107th years, which I don't know how many trillions were there. There were a bunch. It was a lot on the page. So a while, but again, that's what happens. It's, if you let things go, we, it'll deteriorate. It's exactly what the Bible talks about in this age. I, I would assume that that wouldn't have happened in Eden. It would have kept going. I don't know how that works. I'm looking forward to find out. Um, it's one of those questions I have on my bucket list, but I guess when I get there, I probably won't care, but uh, perhaps I will. Uh, but it, it's always neat. If you really look at science, it, in my opinion, lines up pretty darn well with where the Bible speaks about things. You know, for years, we did not think, you know, people thought with well, the creation, you know, it started. You know, we know that from Genesis. You can have different views of timing and all that, but the fact that God created, that we go to the map for. Well, they said, well, no, that couldn't happen because the universe always existed. But then Einstein came along, Hubble came along, and by 1950, everybody, you know, all this stuff started. It's the old adage that the scientists are walking up the hill to find true knowledge, and they get to the top of the mountain, and the theologians are already there. You know, I always think it's interesting when we get that to happen. So, and this all comes back to the fact that Jesus changes things. A dead bodies in general don't come back to life. Even the ones that Jesus raised from the dead died again. I always thought it'd be interesting to have somebody write or do a movie on Lazarus's life after Jesus was gone. I mean, what happened when he got sick again? Or maybe he got hit by a donkey. I don't know. He got killed. What are you thinking? after he's in that tomb for one day. What's he thinking? You know, it was just interesting. They, they died again. Jesus did not. Jesus, it's a little bit different. You know, we're not saying that Lazarus was resurrected in that way, where his body changed from this mortal body that we see now to a 
resurrected, glorified body. It was the same body that still died. Same with Jairus' daughter, same with the, the boy in Nain, and the few that we have in Acts in the Old Testament. Um, I don't know if you notice, but this doesn't happen very often. It's quite infrequent. I'm thinking seven in the Bible. Um, doesn't happen very often. But this is not what we're here to do. We're not promised that we'll come back to life in this life. We'll be resurrected into the next life. So Jesus' victory takes place on earth. I think the victory word we got to be careful with um, because we can get cocky. Um, I mean, I never get cocky, but you all could, right? Uh, you know, I, I keep doing the show of hands thing, but I know you're, you've probably maybe got rotator cuff problems. But, um, you don't have to show, but many of you have seen The Passion of the Christ, the movie that came out. I was in Keokuk, so that would have been, had to be 03, 04, 05 in there somewhere. And if, if, if you haven't seen that, this is Mel Gibson did it. It's, it's very gory. Um, if you haven't seen it and you're okay with that, I wouldn't, don't bring any popcorn. You're not going to eat it. Um, just, and if you got kids, you know, you, you use your own discretion. You can just read the book if you don't want to watch the movie. Um, but in this, I thought they did a really good job with the Satan figure. Um, because in the, in, when he's getting, when he's getting whipped, which is just really gory, um, the Satan figure is kind of floating. I mean, he's walking, but it's it kind of a floaty walk. Um, and there's a, just a wry smile there. It's like, you know, he's thinking victory here. He's thinking, you know, we sometimes give Satan this and evil spirits this, this, that they're somehow om omniscient. They're not. They might be smarter than you, but they're still stupid compared to God. And, you know, he, Satan, well, remember, Satan enters Judas to do what? To betray him. If, so Satan thinks he's winning, and they, they do a good job of, and then the cross, you see him a little bit, but the very end, the very end, and I like this term, uh, it's kind of an old English term uh, from England, but it's a, Satan figures out he's been a useful idiot. He was used by God to do that for the ultimate goal, because at the very end, when the, it is finished, you see it's a picture from the top where, where Satan is looking up and he's on his knees. And there's no words other than a cry of defeat. And he finally figures out that the crucifixion was everything. And he was a party to get it happening. God knew it all along. You know, victory. You know, victory at the cross. It seems like a loss. But again, three days later, greatest comeback in the history. That's what we got to remember. And so that's the idea. Victory took place on earth. I mean, he came back to the people that he left, and they knew who he was. Um, that's one thing I'd like to do, too. I was like, you know, Peter, John, one of those guys, it's like, what was that like? What was that like when you're in that room and all of a sudden he's there? I mean, can you imagine the emotion that would come on that? I mean, That'd be really cool. Um, so he's going to return, it, the Bible tells us, to set up his kingdom with resurrected people. No more sin, no more pain, no more crying, but true joy. Um, 
So what do we do now? Uh, this is the kind of the flip here. What do we do now given that we have this? Because, again, Jesus tells us to follow him, not to just accept him. Uh, it's, not, it's not an accounting transaction. It's a relationship that we're, by grace, allowed to enter into because of our faith. Uh, and our righteous deeds are going to follow us. That's kind of cool. You, you get this in Revelation 14. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this down. Blessed are those who die in the Lord. From not die in the Lord means you have accepted him. Final heaven is guaranteed. Yes, says the Spirit, they are blessed indeed, for they will rest from their hard work, for their good deeds will follow them. That's pretty clear. If you go to 1 Corinthians a little earlier, um, way back into chapter 3, you have a really good metaphor for what that looks like. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, glorious day, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. This is a little scary, isn't it? Because yesterday I watched just a couple football games. I did read part of Tim Keller's Prodigal God, too, so I get a point for that, right? Point and a half, maybe. Uh, two points? Okay. If I ever figure out what to do with these points, it's going to be cool. I think he can redeem them at Casey's. If I, no, I'm just... Um, <laughs> But you think about that, and again, we have to be careful with this, because I don't think God sets up there and said, you just got to do everything I say, and it, you better not like it either. You know, that's not God. I mean, that's not Jesus. I think we can enjoy it. Um, but we do, you know, you want to think about that when you wake up in the morning. It's like, what am I going to do today that I can actually carry on? into what, what is this gold, silver, precious stones? But Because he says, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only through fire. So I say, you'll get there, but, you know, by the skin of your teeth, as they say. Uh, and our deeds follow us. It's like, what can we do today? And sometimes it's not that hard. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it, it really gets hard to understand. Is this something that would honor God? Most of the time it's not. I mean, if you don't remember anything else from this, remember this. Sin, God's against it. That will not carry over. You know, we try not to do that. But again, the grace, God has given you abilities to do things and gifted you to do things in certain ways. And that's not only in the church. You know, people think they become a believer, they got to be a missionary or a pastor. You know, well, yeah, if you're gifted for that. But you can store up for yourself treasures in the very vocation you're in right now or school or wherever you're at. What have I done today that I could actually use in the new heaven and the new earth? And I think you kind of got that from the treasures in heaven, didn't you? Do you know God better? Do you know his other redeemed people better? Well, there you go. That might be part of it. Or even better, I mean, how cool would it be if you met somebody who doesn't know Christ and you told them about your faith and maybe they become one of those people that are also, yeah, that'd be kind of cool too. Um, 
So you do want to think, what things in this life might be carried over into the next? I think it's important to think about that. And don't think about it as God as some rule giver. I got to do it, you know, just, you know pressing you. No, is, you know, what, well, how are we taught to pray to him? Our, well, thinking about as a loving father. He's your judge if you don't believe in Jesus. He's your father if you do. And even when you mess up, he's going to, you still get there, but only as through fire. <laughs> Yeah. So some things to ponder here at the end. When you think about that we're going to be in a new heaven and a new earth with resurrected, glorified bodies, and we did talk about this some, we will talk about that more. So technically, sometimes the things we say, and I think we say them not because we're, we're being unbiblical or we're trying to be unchristian. It's just the way we say it. We forget because we, we, we think so much about we leave this earth and we go to another dimension or however it is, heaven where God dwells as a spiritual being without the body, and that's it, but that's not it, right? That's just the current heaven. That's just a temporary. Eventually, you'll have the new heaven and the new earth with glorified bodies the way it was originally intended, Eden on steroids, you know, plus, so should we say, you know, I've heard people say, well, you know, I'm never going to be able to see this person on earth again. Or I'm never going to be able to hug him on earth again. I've, I've heard people say that. I don't know what they mean because they're not on earth. But I don't, maybe we shouldn't, technically we shouldn't say that because we'll get to see him again. And it, on earth, it's just going to be a redeemer. You know, don't get this, you know, spiritual phantom idea. You know, that you're going to go to heaven and you're going to go up to your loved one and try to hug him and you just go right through. Now, I, I don't know. I, I think you get the real hug. I don't know how that works. I do think it. Because they're really them. C.S. Lewis called this place, you see it in the last of the Narnia series, you see it in The Great Divorce, which is about the divide between heaven and hell. He called it the Shadowlands. In fact, there's a movie that's called that about, what is the Shadowlands? He used that term in his own life when his, he got married really late in life and uh, his wife died of cancer fairly early in the marriage. And he writes a book called The Problem of Pain, which I recommend, that tells us why suffering is, is a necessary part of our existence now, um, using the Bible and, 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 and those things. That was a very academic work. It was very well done, very biblical. But then he writes something after his wife dies called A Grief Observed. So this was a guy who was a theologian that understood why we suffer intellectually. This is a guy who was really suffering because somebody he loved really deeply was gone. It's so, and he uses the word shadowlands, a land where you just kind of see a little bit pinprick of light, but most of it you're in the shadow. And that's what he calls this earth. I'm not trying to be pessimistic, it's a metaphor. But if you read The Great Divorce, in that, it's not trying to tell us how heaven and hell really works. It's a metaphor. It's supposed to just give us some images. But heaven is so real, when you first get there, the grass hurts your feet. Because we're still shadow, we're working our way. You know? and, and he's not saying that's the way it works. He's just saying, this is the real thing. Death was never supposed to be the real thing. And we grow more and more into who we were originally destined to be when we get there in the new heaven and the new earth. And everything here, even though it's cool, 
I mean, you're in the middle of a worship service with people, many people who love you, probably one of the better sermons you've heard this year. It's only the 15th of January. Um, but this is still the Shadowlands. This is just a pinprick of it. And it's by the grace of God that we get some of it. You know, it's, you know, Paul says that. I put it, should have put that verse, you know, I, we can't even imagine what it's going to be like completely, but we get enough to believe. And there's a lot in there. So, in one sense, we're going to be able to see and hug these people that have died in the Lord more fully than we can on this earth. This is kind of cool. You put your, I guess you put your eggs in the Jesus basket, don't you? In the resurrection. If, if this is true, we have a lot of hope. We have a lot of, should have a lot of trust in the one who did this. So, what's it going to be like on Resurrection Day? We're going to hit that a little harder, but we're going to go back to our 1 Corinthians 15 to finish up here. I have Revelation 21 there, uh, which is the rest of your assignment for today. Um, you get a whole week. I mean, you can read. And that one's not that long either, you know. Then I looked and I saw a new heaven and a new earth because the old heaven and the old earth have passed away. It's just a great text. But this is the way we get this at the end of telling about glorified spiritual bodies and the fact that the resurrection is the victory and that death is conquered by Jesus and will be completely gone on that glorious day. He ends it like this, and we'll end with this. Verse 50, I tell you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Be Behold, I tell you a mystery. When you see that in the Bible, just kind of, you know, kind of hairs in my neck, kind of, oh, this is going to be cool. Because it's not going to be a mystery when I get done reading it. I tell you a mystery, something that people probably have wanted to know. We shall not all sleep, not all die, but we shall be all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and the mortal body must put on immortality. Let us pray. Father, the guarantee, the promise of what we uh, have to look forward to is so clear in your word, especially in this chapter of 1 Corinthians. Uh, just pray for each one here. We're all in different spots, I suppose. I pray that each one wants to get to know you better this year. Uh, through your word, uh, through studying it, uh, through worshiping, through serving, through just doing those things that uh, are going to carry over into eternity. You give us gifts and talents. You give us ways to know you better. Uh, may we take advantage of those. Forgive us when we haven't used your word as that thing that does help us know better, not, not have used prayer the way we should. Maybe worship not as much as we should. May we want to do that more. May you give us the desire by your spirit to get to know you more, each other more, remembering the hope that we have because you raised your son from the dead in whose name we pray.